I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. Hey, if you want to talk CFL football, I don't think there's a better guest than Tom Higgins. This guy's done it all in this league, a player, a coach, a manager, an administrator. He's also worked in the league office as director of officiating. Hey, we might get into that a little bit later on, but let's welcome Tom Higgins to the program. Mr. Higgins, how are you? Long time no speak, my friend. Yes, Jock, it, it, it's, it's good to be talking to you and with you. Um, so let's talk some football. Let, let's talk some football. Well, I, I want to start with something very unique that just happened to you and your wife, Sharon. Now, people that maybe know your career know uh, you were a pretty good football player back in the day with North Carolina State with the Wolfpack. You were an All-American, a starter in four consecutive bowl games. You actually... You actually went back to Raleigh on the weekend. Uh, you you got to share the story with uh, with you and Sharon going back. Well, um, it, 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 it was really simple. Um, what really twigged it is that I, I actually also wrestled at, at North Carolina State. I was a heavyweight wrestler um, for four years. And again, if you looked at me now, you would think, <laughs> really? Uh, where'd all that uh, muscle or weight go? And uh, it it's gone, and that's a good thing. Um, but I, I got a call from my wrestling coach uh, a couple of months ago, and he said, uh, you know, uh, Tom, your ears must be burning. And a lot of the wrestlers, former wrestlers, got together um, to be with uh, the head coach, the wrestling coach, and to celebrate his 90th birthday. And, and so I, I'm, I'm blown away that he's 90 years old, but I'm, I'm thinking now I'm, I'm looking and I'm going, wow, I haven't been back to state right? or I first stepped on North Carolina state, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, the university to play football 50 years ago, 19, 1972. Wow. I was on campus and all of a sudden it was like, Wow that's a blast from the past. And um, I got in touch with uh, a couple of players that I know that were still living in Raleigh. Um, One of them was the starting quarterback that we both came in together. Now these two young men, he had a twin brother. And so in 1972 was the uh, year that they allowed freshmen to play on the varsity team again. Uh, it was that way, but they, they made a ruling that freshmen couldn't play. But in 1972, they brought it back. The two of them were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And now I also played four years with Lou Holtz. Now, people might not know his name in the years go by, um, but eventually he worked his way up to being the head coach at Notre Dame and won a national championship. So um, we, we obviously were very successful at North Carolina State for four years. I mean, how couldn't we? Uh, some people might understand um, or remember uh, Willie Burden. He was a teammate of mine, and he ran roughshod over Penn State while when we were playing them. Uh, and then I actually got a chance to play with Willie um, up in Calgary when I first came to the CFL to start a professional career. Fantastic. So, 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 so yeah, to, to make a long story short, uh, Tom, you and Sharon actually go back 50 years. Was that the first time you've been back to North Carolina in 50 years? I, I got, I got, I went back uh, because when I was the uh, head coach in Montreal, Alouettes, the uh, general manager lived in North Carolina. 
So he wasn't coming up to Montreal, so Sharon and I went down. Uh, but that's during – it wasn't during the off season, so we actually walked the campus a little bit. Uh, but I had never been back to see a football game. Wow. So, so what, what ended up happening, the short part of the story was um, Sharon and I decided, well, this is the first time in my life that I haven't had a, a football team to be responsible for or to cheer for. I grew up in a football family. My dad was a, a professional football player. Mm-hmm. He also went to University of uh, Carolina. And so that was for four years we didn't talk to one another. And I'm, I'm teasing <laughs> uh, because it's such a big rivalry. Uh, he played professionally for the Chicago Cardinals and the Philadelphia Eagles, but he was a, a, a head football coach. So from the day I was born, I was involved in football and always had a team to cheer for. This is the first time in my life that I don't have a team to coach, to administrate, um, to put officials out on the field. And this is the only time during football season that um, I had. And so, uh, yes, the, the thing was, is I also have never watched a football game with my wife sitting next to me um, in all of these years. And so, yes, it was almost 50 years, but we were back in North Carolina, but we, okay. we didn't see any players because it wasn't appropriate. I only had a short period of time. So, yeah. Uh, because I graduated in 76, so that was the last time that um, I was really on campus. How did, so, that, how did that go, watching a, watching a game with Sharon? Like, did, did that go okay for you? Like, did, did, did you, She knew what kind of a person you were, and she, she obviously knew what kind of a player you were, so uh, uh, did, did you impress her? Uh, no, no, not one bit. Um, she, impressed, she impressed me because, you know what? Uh, she knew to sit. She knew to when to cheer. She knew when. Um, but what, what, what fascinated her was the pageantry. I mean, there was 300 band members that come on out on the field, and they, they play the fight song, and they play it over and over again. And if you're you know from there, you're standing up and clapping, and then you say, go state. And that she just didn't really grasp or understand. But the football part... She got down very well, and um, she she's learned extremely well. Uh, the challenge that I have watching a game is I want to play it back because I want to I want to I'm watching all there's 22 players on the field and eight officials. That's a, that's interesting to me watching eight officials. What they do is they have like two umpires. So there's the umpire that needs to be in the inside. Uh, behind with the linebackers, and then the other umpire is next to on the other side of the uh, referee. Now, I don't want to get real technical, but we officiate in the CFL with seven officials. Mm-hmm. I know some people would wish that there's only one or no officials on the field, <laughs> but we can talk about that later. Um, but no, it was, was exciting to be able to be there. Um, uh, the infrastructure of the stadium is still there, but the press box is enormous. They actually continue. It's completely filled in. The locker room is ridiculously. Um, you, you, you need to have these things in order to be able to recruit. Right. Uh, they have an indoor facility now in which to practice. And you're thinking, North Carolina, the weather is usually pretty nice. And I can't imagine why you would go indoors. I mean, it, if it snowed, it only snowed once when I was at state. And uh, <laughs> the uh, city shut down for two days and it was really only two or three inches of snow so you 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 understand how 
mild the weather is. But in order to be able to compete on the ACC, you know, against the Clemsons, you need to have facilities that you know, young men want to come to. Um, but it's really about getting a good quality education. And, you know, that's what happened when I was there. But I think the coach that's there was doing a good job. We saw at North Carolina State play Texas Tech. Both were uh, 2-0. and And uh, State won 27-14. Um, delightful game. But the game went for three hours and 45 minutes. Yikes. And, uh, Jake, we, uh, Jock, we might get to that. Um, but uh, the commissioner would be all over me if we had any game that went beyond three hours. Isn't that the truth? Um, uh, good, good and on the officials the... are part of the upbeat tempo. There, sure. there was one um, uh, injury that occurred, uh, but it still should have only been three hours and 15 minutes. It shouldn't have been 45 minutes. But I'm just thinking, wow, um, that's okay. They that... don't have any requirements, uh, you know, television-wise. No. Uh, so. Uh, play as long as you want. If it's a five-hour game, all those crazy fans would be there yes. cheering them on and enjoying it. Good, good on so the. I'm sorry, boy, that took a long time. To get <laughs> That's okay. It's uh, it's a podcast. We can talk forever. Uh, good on the Red Raiders for for winning for Tom Higgins and Sharon Higgins in the stands, which is uh, a. And, and there's nothing better than a college game day atmosphere. You know, I, I've been to a couple. You know, I I've been to NFL games, CFL games. I, I will say the college experience is unbelievable. But 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 let's let, let's sort of go in a different direction here because if we go back, you know, to your to your college days, and you were telling me a great story uh, before we started this podcast, you know, and, and, and John Huffnagel, pretty well known here in this, uh, in, in this city and in, in, in this league, you know, and, and you mentioned Penn State already, as a junior and a senior, you know, you, you ended up playing against, uh, you know, John Huffnagel, and, well, it's, it's interesting how it goes full circle in this league, isn't it, Tom? Y- yes, it is. Um, well, you know, now, John was uh, a little older than I was, and so he was a quarterback, and I mean, you know what? It's really simple because if you have a, a Heisman Trophy winner who was it was John Capaletti. Um, now we played Penn State four years in a row. We lost my freshman and my sophomore year. And if you ask John, John will say, "Well, uh, it doesn't count that we won my junior and senior year because he had already graduated and was gone." <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, we tease about that, but. Um, Joe Paterno had a lot of respect for. Uh, so at North Carolina State, we had never beaten in all the history of North Carolina State. We had never beaten Penn State 10 times. But we played by our junior year. We were good enough to play with and against Penn State. We were at home and we beat Penn State at home. And Uh, Joe Paterno came into the locker room and congratulated the football team. Mm. I mean, there's very few people that have that, that kind of gumption. They understand how big it was. And then uh, we beat Penn state up in Penn state um, our senior year. And um, it was a 15, uh, 15, 14 game that we won. It came right down to the wire. Um, and it was uh, interesting. They were ranked eight in the country. We were just uh, hovering just below around 22, 23. Um, they were going to a bowl game. We were going to a bowl game. But it was uh, uh, interesting that all of a sudden now uh, we have a connection, and we reconnected when we uh, came up to when I came up to play for the Calgary Stampeders. John Huffnagel was here, 
And then I went back and got a little bit of time in the, in the NFL. And then when I was finishing up uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Huffnagel was there. And uh, then we had a chance to coach together, and I knew about John, and, um, and the rest was history. And then all of a sudden, uh, we, we split apart because he went down to the NFL. I went up to Edmonton. When I came back to Calgary, uh, he took over a team that uh, was going to start to have success. And we did the three years that I came back from Edmonton because uh, I'm very proud to say that John won the Grey Cup in his first year, and I'm very proud to say that you know, the ingredients were there. The shells were not there. Mm-hmm. And so he had a pretty good football team and won. So, yeah, you know what? We're all connected. Um, it is a, a very tight fraternity, even in the CFL, that, you know what, we have always probably crossed paths. And one of the things, uh, I, Jock, I have to let you know that um, you might get a call because somebody will say you said the Red Raiders. It's uh, North Carolina State. Wolf pack. Oh, the wolf pack. My my bad. My bad. No, no. Well, oh, you beat I, I, you beat I, the Red I, Raiders. I, I that's right. You beat the Red Raiders. Right. Okay, the wolf pack. That's yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, because because if you if, if we were doing this podcast down in the uh, in the states, oh yeah, I'd get I get drilled. Get lot, you get a lot of nasty calls coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf pack beating the Red Raiders. Good 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 on you for correcting me. I I got to ask you this question. So there you are with the wolf pack. I'll get that right this time. And, and, and you're having an outstanding college career. And, you know, your, your dream is to play in the NFL. But that doesn't, that doesn't pan out. You, you, you did play in the NFL, so I, I, I want to get that correct. But your career has been in Canada. As a young man in North Carolina, did you even know what Canada was? Did you even know what the CFL was? No. no. Um, I, I knew there was a CFL. I knew uh, a Canadian Football League couldn't tell you uh, any of the teams. Um, uh, and it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience for me to, to uh, truly appreciate and understand, uh, you know, that I, I, I traveled much more than most Americans. A lot of Americans don't even travel out of their state. Um, when I, and it, it, it became embarrassing that all of a sudden when I actually decided that I was going to come to Canada, and there was another reason for that. I was actually a nose guard. I was a two-gap nose guard because we played a, uh, an odd front, so I was over the center. And, but I knew professionally that I was going to be a linebacker. And so I needed somebody, and there was, uh, you know, the coach that came down, he, he, he watched, uh, you know, some uh, tape and thought, man, this guy can play. And they wanted me. And I thought that was much better than going as a free agent. Now, I, I had – a number of free agent shots with different clubs, one of them being the New York Jets, because after four years, Lou Holtz went to play for the New York, or play, sorry, coach the New York Jets. I went to one of their um, mini camps, and it, people are going to be shocked. It, it's only going to be your older listeners will understand. Um, I was there, and Joe Namath, was there at our mini camp. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. And I, at that point in time, again, you got to understand, I, I always thought that, you know what, I was going to coach, but I didn't know if it was going to be on a high school level, a university level, or professional level. Um, so, I mean, I was very, very in tune with paying attention to almost everything that goes on and the interaction and how, um, you know, a coach uh, 
uh, talks to and works with athletes. And But I knew that it's a lot different on the professional level than on the university level where Lou Holtz came on in and Lou Holtz is head and shoulders above the athlete and the athlete is down. So as an example, he's talked to Joe Namath and I was listening to the conversation and he says, uh, um, you know, uh, Joe, you, you can call me coach. And uh, Joe Namath uh, said, okay, Lou. So right away I knew that there was a little bit of a disconnect and I just didn't have a good feeling to go to the Jets knowing that, hey, my former head coach is here. He'll, he'll look after me. I decided not to and, and come up to Canada first. And um, if history would show that he didn't finish out the, even the first year of his contract with the New York Jets. Um, because he's a fantastic university coach, but as a professional coach, not so much. <laughs> well, you speak of professional coaches. Uh, you were teammates with Bill Cowher, right? Uh, he was—he turned out to be yes. a pretty good coach. I yes, he, he did a really good job. And again, you know what? Yeah, you learn a lot from coaches that you have that coach you, and. Um, we, we learned very well, and we stayed in touch, and you know, there was an opportunity and never presented itself. I would have loved to have uh, possibly joined staff with him, but uh, it wasn't meant to happen. I was meant to stay in Canada and coach, officiate, um, be an administrator, and do all the things that the CFL allows you to do, which was have a great career. For for somebody that has been involved in the Canadian game for so long, and as I mentioned in the opening, a player, a coach, a a manager, an administrator, uh, you know, you've been been involved in in Canada West as well with the Dinos and and the Alberta Golden Bears. I am am a little bit curious, you know, what, what you've taken away from the Canadian game. And, you know, it's different than the NFL game. And obviously you've, you've fallen in love with the, the Canadian game. And, and some people say, hey, we've got to become more American here in Canada. What, what do you say to those people? Oh, dare! don't you ever say that. Um, <laughs> what, what, what would be really great is um, we, we need to have more fans, but you, you, you grow them. And you have to uh, also teach uh, football and people who do come on in that don't understand the game because it's, it's very strategic. It's very enjoyable. So I had the opportunity, obviously to, to go down and see Texas tech, uh, try to beat North Carolina state. Um, damn, the game was slow. It, 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 it and again, it was three hours and 45 minutes. Like I said, but you know what? It, it just dragged, right? It, there was no tempo to it where if we brought the NFL fans and brought them up and made them sit in that stadium, they would just think that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's exciting. It's entertaining. I mean, you, you punt the football, and that's a wasted play because you, the return guy puts his hand up in the air, and then the, the play is over. Right. And, you know, a lot of the kicks, kickoffs, they're all out of the end zones. And so guess what? And the ball comes out to the 25-yard line. That, that's, a, that's another play that you, you don't get. Um, and, and it's understand, I, I was born in the United States. I played American football, but I also been in the show um, and had the opportunity to even develop the Canadian game. 
the Canadian game is so much better, so much more exciting, but there's so much more fanfare. And, you know, there's more cheerleaders, there's more entertainment mm-hmm. in the fact that the, the show, besides the football game, which is very slow, um, they, they don't know any better. They just think that that's, that's it. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's one man's opinion. But I think there's a, a lot of people that have the opportunity to experience both uh, possibly would say the same thing. No, you, you know, it's interesting, Tom, because, you know, as a Canadian, you know, in, in this country, it, it, hockey is in your blood and, and you grow up and you've got, you know, kids playing, you know, at all levels of hockey and they grow up and they, 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 they watch their junior stars and then they watch their NHL stars in, in the States. I, I, I firmly believe that's it's all part of their culture as well, because, you know, you, you go to high school games in the United States and, and you're generating that fan. My, my daughter has gone down to Texas A&M and she didn't know anything about football. Guess what? She loves football now. And so you're you, because of that, you know, college atmosphere, you're just breeding a whole new fan base. And guess what? Those fans graduate and then they follow their stars to the NFL. So it's, it, you know, and, 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 and our, our university sports are great. But we just don't have the same following here in Canada because it's not hockey, and 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 and, and that's kind of sad, in, in my opinion. It it is, um, but it, it it can be a work in progress that you just have to be patient. You add a fan one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, one of the things that um, we're spoiled here is the CFL player is so much more accessible than an NFL player. Maybe they understand because they're just, they get a normal salary. They're not being paid anywhere in the millions. A young player who would be an unrestricted free agent uh, in the NFL, his starting salary is over half a million dollars U.S. And so, uh, you know, some people are not in tune with reality, but but I, I don't want to pigeonhole them all. I just think that the uh, Canadian uh, CFL player is more grounded, mm-hmm. and it, it it just speaks volumes for the, the quality of people that we have that come on up and play here. Plus, the quality of player is actually very, very good. There, there's... Um, there's quite a few NFL players that could not play in the CFL. Hmm. They're just not athletic enough or fast enough. And, but there's some that could come on up and, uh, you know, be stars here, but uh, they wouldn't be making as much money as they're, they're making now. Uh, somebody like yourself that's been involved in, in, in the game for so long, you've been hired, you've been fired. Uh, you, you were telling me you were cut six times a, a, as an athlete. Uh, what did you, what did you learn from that experience? Well, you, you learn perseverance. You also learn there's some things that are outside your control that you, you cannot control. Um, it's, a, a, it's a tough sport to make a living in. Uh, those that do, uh, I hope they understand and can understand how fortunate they are and how lucky they are, but also how good they are. Um, but it, it, it's a little bit of a meat market, and it doesn't have to be. Um, I, I then became very sympathetic on, and very understanding that um, I started to release players much differently than I, I was released myself. Um, being cut from Buffalo, how I knew I was cut, I came in the uh, locker room door and my bag um, of 
I had a, a, a garbage bag. It was full with uh, my own personal equipment. And my name tag that goes over your locker wow. was right on top of the bag. And I'm thinking, damn, heck, I'm a veteran. And so I go to the equipment manager, and, you know, he's very apologetic. But he said, uh, I was told I had to do that. So I knew that I went upstairs. Heck, I didn't even talk to the head coach. It was probably assistant uh, GM that I talked to and said, you know, yeah, again, all nice things, but, uh, you know, you're on your way out. And um, so I learned how not to treat athletes um, that are in this business. And so I made it my mission that when I uh, talk to athletes to let them know how competitive this is going to be to make the football team, and then when it does come time to let somebody go, I do it in a as much as a dignified way as possible. And knowing that, I, I tell you this, um, but there was a time that I was attending a, a, a football clinic in Las Vegas, and I happened to be in a one of the hotels, and I came by an athlete, and it, it was obvious that um, – it was a former player, didn't recognize him right away. And he, he, you know, he said, hey, Coach Higgins, do you remember me? You cut me. And, and that's a great way to be reintroduced to <laughs> one of the athletes that I had. And, you know, when, when you get that, some people still have a lot of animosity that, you know what, you cut me. Yes, I'm the one who told you. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's collective effort. <laughs> and, you know, I'll, I'll take the blame because that's what you do when you're in, in administration. Uh, yes, I did. And then we had a conversation and uh, it, it ended nicely. You know, we both nice. said, enjoy your time here in Las Vegas and uh, we, we move on. What was the biggest challenge for Tom Higgins? Was it was it tougher in, in Canada to be a player, a coach, a manager or a, a, an administrator? What, what, what did you feel was that was the toughest role? Um, you know, when I first came, um, to the Sam Peters, 1976, uh, there were 15, um, linebackers and five were Canadian and 10 were American. And all of a sudden, um, I, I also came on up and, uh, didn't have a coach and because it, it was, was interesting because I thought that, you know, the name of my coach was guest coach. And so at, at the time we only had two coaches, we had a front end coach and a back end coach. And um, so you're, you're thinking the front end coach de- coaches, the defensive line and linebackers, the back end coach coaches, the defensive backs and linebackers. And so we got moved back and forth. So the adjustment was rather interesting but with the five Canadians that we were going to keep three of the 10 American linebackers, we were going to keep one. And so I think I thought, wow, it's, we're stacked. And so now you're competing differently. And so to, to come on up to Canada, um, it wasn't really quite understanding of the ratio. And so the ratio was a, a, a big concern, a big challenge. Um, but, what was fun was being able to be in Calgary, have that experience, 
then be in the, the States. I mean, I was with the Cleveland Browns. I was with the New York Giants. I was with the Buffalo Bills, made it with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, once I was then uh, let go and knew in the NFL wasn't going to give me any more opportunities, I was able to you know, uh, be with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So player-wise, um, you, you knew that this was a journeyman type of situation. Not every player – uh, you know, has it as easy as a first-round draft pick might in the NFL. Because usually they don't make very many mistakes, and if they do make a mistake as you as a first-round draft pick, you'll still be there for three years. Somebody else might pick you up thinking, okay, we had you high on the board. And then, uh, But being a player was interesting and tough in itself, but then everything else um, becomes a little bit of a, of a challenge. Um, so when, when retired and, and so I'm actually giving you history. So that way then it, it, it lends itself. How do you, how do you get into this profession? Right. How do you do it? Um, uh, Sharon and I both got teaching jobs. So I actually coached uh, Crescent Heights high school, the junior team for one year. Cause I was a teacher at Jack James secondary school. And so I started teaching, and I, I asked the principal, I said, do we have a football team? He says, no, but I know where somebody's looking for one. And so then uh, I did that for one year. But then all of a sudden I, I called Peter Canellan. He would love to have had me. He did. He said, come on and join me. So, you know, I was three years with the University of Calgary, you know, one of them. And so the Calgary Dinosaurs will win the 1983 Vanier Cup. As they go out in front now, 31 to 21, with just five seconds left to play in the game. But what was interesting is that um, now I am feeling my oats. I'm a teacher. Um, I, I have security in that teaching job. Um, I was now helping coach the, the university team. You know, got success. We we won a Vanier Cup. Um, the uh, head coach that was hired with the Calgary Stampeders was the offensive line coach in Saskatchewan, Steve Barato. So now I, I have a little bit of a connection. And so I volunteered um, and I coach, I was a guest coach for them longer than a normal guest coach because I coached all the way up until the start of the Dinos football season. And I was the linebacker coach. Now, if you remember when I told you that uh, there was only two coaches, right. well, they still only had two coaches on defense. So I was coaching the linebackers. So when I left, there was a hole. So after the football season was over with the university, Steve asked if I would come and join them. Um, and I was the first linebacker coach that the Calgary Stampeders ever had. Now, what was interesting is that I can tell you what, the amount of money that I was making uh, as a teacher, I was making $32,000. And so um, Steve offered me $32,000. So here I'm, I'm now thinking this is great because now I'm going to be a professional coach. Um, so you have mentioned my wife's name is Sharon, um, born and raised here in Calgary. She goes, why would you take the same amount of pay to leave your teaching job that you know is very secure. So I was pretty proud of myself. I went back in and I renegotiated my contract and I got a thousand dollars. No job security, but you got the extra thousand dollars. Fantastic. No, I, 
<laughs> exactly. And so now the, the, the coaching part, right? And so now here I am. I'm, I'm going to spend nine years with the Calgary Stampeders. And, uh, you know, little be known that, uh, again, um, I, Wally was on the street. I hired Wally um, because I was doing the interviewing. Um, I, I, was, I was just one of the coaches, but because I was on the defensive side of the ball, and there was two guys that we interviewed. Um, you know, Wally would have been a better linebacker coach than we were looking for a defensive line coach. And so um, we hired Wally. And then, you know, through the course of us coaching together, Wally would be more comfortable coaching the linebackers. Obviously, I would thought I was a very good linebacker coach. But I volunteered and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll coach the defensive line and he can have the linebackers. And, and, you know, as luck would have it, we both competed for the head coaching job. He got it. He let me be the assistant head coach. And then it was like, well, he wasn't leaving. So my, uh, I would have to stay underneath him. And that's when I decided to go to Edmonton. Now, the, the long and short of it is that um, everyone has their own different journeys. But in order to get to be on the professional level, you have to know someone. You have to make connections. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you just need to volunteer. And so uh, it just came about generally. Uh, you know, it was very smooth in how it happened. It just flowed. And all of a sudden I, I go to Edmonton and I'm the assistant general manager. Now I'm in charge of recruiting. I'm in charge of scouting. I'm in charge of running the stadium on game day, Commonwealth Stadium. At over a sixty thousand seat stadium. They didn't tell me that when they were actually hired me, you know. And then I had eleven years with with the Edmonton Eskimos. So it, it's hard to answer the, the question because right. there's no everyone's journeys into the professional ranks is um, uh, different um, because you don't go to university or or you know uh, after high school. There's nothing that teaches you about how to get into this profession. It's connection. It's hard work. Uh, one of the challenges that this profession has is that there's no job security, and uh, you, you might have to move quite a few times. Um, the divorce rate is rather high, and I can understand why that uh, you know you start a family and then now you're moving because some of the coaches' resumes are just uh, filled with. Uh, so many moves and your family only has so many moves in it. And so they have been with Calgary for nine years and then with Edmonton for 11, that was fantastic. Our kids were able to get all the way through high school and some through university as well. um, You know, before we moved back to Calgary and then Calgary was a great run, but short for three years and then director of officiating for six and then two years uh, really one and a half with Montreal Alouettes. Um, and all of those have great stories that go with them. Mm. And so <laughs> we could be talking a long time. But <laughs> well, I know, you know, I, I didn't answer the question precisely, but there is no concise answer. Well, no, no, and, and I get that. And, and maybe I asked the question wrong because, you know, there, there there is different pressures, you know, being a player, being a coach, being a manager, being an administrator, and, and obviously working in, in, in the league office. And I, I, I still, you know, this is me on the outside, I still say maybe your best coaching job was that 1-7 in seven start in Montreal, and and you finished 9-9. Nine and nine. Like, I don't know how you turned that ship around, Tom, but, uh, you know, good on you. 
Oh, well, well thank you. you. You know what? We were able to get a Jonathan Compton. Um, what he had is he had leadership qualities. Uh, he was, uh, you know, if he's a, just a 50% passer, uh, sure, you would like it to be 80, and then you, we could have won more games. But uh, to go 8-2, and two, um, they started to believe in one another. Right. And we started to have a great time. And um, it, was, it was a great turnaround. And then all of a sudden, I'm not given that opportunity in the second year. Yeah, crazy. You know, they all wanted to fire me when I was 1-7, and seven, and that would have been fine. I mean, I, I get it. Um, you know, it's based on your wins and your losses. Um, but I think it, it's so much more than that. I, I, I don't, I, I believe it's more about um, having great quality people knowing that they can still learn something, even as a professional, um, what it takes to be successful in life as well. Because I really do believe that it, it's truly a unique sport where it takes so many people working together in order to have success. And that's to me is what, you know, life is all about. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we all face our challenges. And so it's, it's never a bad thing to can still continue to learn, even as you're a professional athlete. And I, I hope that most of the athletes that I've ever had the opportunity to coach professionally would say that some have come back to me and said, you know, you continue to tell me all of those cheeky one word, those phrases of yours and your cliches. And he said, you know what? I actually do that now to my own kids. They, they were truths. <laughs> You know, it's never as bad. It's never as good. Either you get better, you get worse. Nothing ever remains the same. Those things are just things that uh, we continue to make sure that, hey, let's get better today. Let's have some fun doing it. You know, we're judged on our wins and losses. So how do you how do you try to get that tilted to your favor? And I I think, uh, you know, by having the upbringing that I had and the mentors that I had, I think I had, you know, some of the formulas that uh, allowed me to be successful in my coaching career, my administrative career, my even officiating career. That that's that's a whole other story. We could spend a day on. Well, uh, yeah, and and, and we're going to go there. We're going to go there next. We're not going to spend a day on it, Tom. But uh, you know, I, I do want to end this conversation, and I do appreciate all the stories because this has been a little bit of a history lesson for me, and I and I love it. Officiating is a hot-button topic in the Canadian Football League today. As, as you mentioned, you were the director of officiating for the Canadian Football League, you know, a, a role you did for a number of years. Now, I hear from the fans on a daily basis that they think officials today are flag-happy. It's taking away from the game. You know, you know, you're not employed by the league anymore, so you can be honest with me right now. What what is what do you feel is the state of officiating in today's Canadian Football League? I would be honest with you, no matter what. It, it, even if I was director of officiating, actually, you know, I got again, I got fired as director of officiating. Well, you know what? Um, you only have a certain life expectancy. But the reason that I was told that I was fired is that I was too honest, and that I would throw the officials under the bus. And I, I thought that that was a compliment then, because no, if we made a mistake, I owned up to it. I took responsibility because I was the man in charge. Um, he, the, the challenge that we have in officiating is that the coaches help us determine where the gray area is. So he, he, here it is, and I, I explained it to coaches because 
having a coach become director of officiating, the officials were good to me. They, they taught me about officiating, but I taught them about football and then how it blends together and what a coach coaches and what a coach sees and what an official needs to be able to see in order to be understood and to be with the, the coach. And, and the coaches are never going to be happy with officials because before every start of a football season, I had a bunch of plays that we are going to look at as a whole coaching staff and with the head coach being there. And so when we look at a play and we say, now this is what we are going to call as defensive pass interference, I have half of the coaches in that room. That's not pass interference. That's terrible. And we're going, the offensive coaches are saying, yes, that's pass interference. But what, what I'm saying is that people see it differently, even on a coaching staff. And so the, the clips that we were showing were the gray areas. And you, you coach in gray. There is no official that goes out on the field and say, man, I'm going to see how many flags I can possibly throw. I want to keep my flag in my pocket, but I have a job to do. And so um, the instant replay just started to come on, and we started to refine it when I, when I was there because we used to have those Trojan boxes that they had to look at to make decisions. We brought it to the command center. We went to the National Hockey League. The NFL also had a command center, and um, we were able to make a command center and make it work. Um, the officials make less mistakes than the coaches and the players themselves. They do make mistakes at times. But let's talk about the gray area. So this is something simple for our listeners. Um, if the speed limit is 60 and you go 61, are you speedy? The answer is yes. Should you, will you get a ticket at 61? Heck no. All right. Now, if you go 69 or 70, now you're putting yourself in that gray area. Can you get a ticket? Heck yeah. Should you get a ticket? 69, I'm saying no. But the moment that you start to get to 70, you now put yourself in a position. So uh, officiating is in the gray area. If a, uh, you know, because holding, if you did the definition of holding, there would be so many holding penalties that the game would take three and a half, three and three hours and 45 minutes, maybe even four hours to play if you continue to have so many flags. Um, so now uh, that's to now get to the point where the coaches and the officials are on the same page to try to understand the, and that, the comparison to, you know, 69 to 70 compared to 71. Right. Coaches coach to the gray and they have to understand that uh, the officials are being paid to make sure that the game is played and played fairly for both sides. And so it's, it's difficult. Now, um, when I was director of officiating, if a game went over three hours, um, the uh, commissioner wanted to know why. Because the officials also have the ability to help dictate the tempo of a football game. Now, if there's an injury... That is something that's a little bit different if it stops the play uh, where, you know, it's where you have to bring out a stretcher or whatnot. That's completely different. That's not part of it. If that were to happen and the commissioner would understand why. Um, but if the coaches could just do a better job coaching the gray area, then the officials don't ever want to throw a flag. And so, um, 
I'm spoiled because I can uh, record CFL games. I don't need to watch them live anymore. For the six years I was director of fishing, I watched every football game live. If not, if I was at a uh, another stadium and another game was going on beforehand, I would watch it as much as I could because I was in direct contact with the um, the command center, but I was also in contact with the booth. So that way, if there's a call made that they don't understand, I would call Glenn Suter or I'd call Dwayne Ford and explain it to them. And that's where we had a very good relationship. It went really well uh, for that period of time. And again, I know... Uh, you know, you, you'd love to have an answer. I don't want any flags, though. Right. right. Keep your flag in your pocket so you don't have to uh, get it laundered. Well, and, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but what what I'm hearing from you, Tom, is you know, if if it's an egregious call, call it. I, I and and I'm I'm good with that. And I yeah, think most coaches. Would. But if it's a gray area call, don't don't call it. Is is, is that fair? Uh, yes, to a certain extent. Okay. Because you you, you got to know because. If the coach goes into the gray or gets darker towards black, we got to call black because you can't gain an advantage. If one set of offensive line coaches is going to coach uh, and say, okay, hold because they're not going to call it, and then you know what? You, you, you have a mess. It, it's, it's the responsibility also falls back to the coaches as well as the players and don't don't jump all over the officials as much, but you know what? There there can be times the pendulum can swing, but um, it, it's it's about coming out and saying that here's exactly what's happening because everyone thinks that uh, officials are against their teams for whatever reason. Um, you know, we had Jake Ireland for many years, and Jake was hated by most of the, the clubs. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Andre Pru, uh, because he is from Quebec, people think that he's prejudiced. He's one of the he's one of the better officials. That you know he he oh he likes the Alouettes more because he's from the province of Quebec. Um, Al Bradbury, he's a police officer and he's from Winnipeg. So is he uh, does he favor Winnipeg? Heck no. Part of the problem was is. Um, <laughs> here's, and it's only human nature. They're human beings as well. So I'm director of officiating for six years, and then all of a sudden Bob Lettenhall asks me and calls me and says, uh, you, you know, can you want to be head coach of the Montreal Alouette? So I took the job. Obviously, there's no other offer that was on the table. <laughs> and for that year, I felt that they were putting themselves on a higher level. They were being a little stricter for the Montreal Alouettes than they were for any other team that we were playing. Now, I would be very sensitive to it because I would know it, but what they didn't want to have happen is anybody to say that um, they're prejudiced and they're helping Tom because he was director of officiating. So, again, only to understand that human nature comes into it. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, we, 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 we take care of it. And so in six years, I only let one official go. I let him go because he called two defensive passes as interference. All he had to tell me is that, Coach, you're, uh, you know, Tom, you're right. They were both bad calls. But what he was doing is he was defending his call and saying they were right. I couldn't put him back out onto the field. Right, right. And um, understand that, the, you know what, 
these guys are proud. It, it's, it's tough on them because they're spending so much time away from their families. They do have other jobs. Um, you know, they're saying make them full-time officials. That, that's not necessarily helpful because uh, the NFL has done that. And um, there's a lot of pros and cons. What do you do for the whole week? You can only watch so much football. Um, and so making it full-time is, is not going to be helpful. But here's where part of the challenge can come in is we need to continue to feed officials. We need to be able to have a system because we're not getting enough officials on all the smaller sports. I mean, the, the younger sports. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that? You, you've got to make it so it's conducive to going on in. We can't have parents yelling and screaming at the young officials because, you know what, why would you do that? You know, for only for a couple of dollars each game that you're officiating to be abused, it doesn't work. And so we can help. Um, but also sometimes that, you know, what what I would, would love to do, and I, I don't have to spend as much time on it because uh, I, I can fast forward through commercials and I don't have to listen to the commentators. Um, but there are times where, you know, a coach will throw a challenge flag. And I spent one whole year, they asked me actually if I would be a, an outside consultant. I was for the, uh, the CFL in 2019 that I watched every game, but what I was only watching is a coach's challenge because I wanted, I critiqued the coaches and whether and why they should have or shouldn't have thrown a challenge flag. And so I found it's, it's interesting because it's an emotional thing. Right. A coach has a flag in his pocket and when he gets upset, man, there's a tendency to throw the damn thing because you want to talk to the referee. Um, but that's not necessarily a good thing <laughs> because you can chew up one of your timeouts, uh, you know? And so, uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a, always a universal challenge. I would. I don't want to see flags. I don't want to see it and watch a game that has a bunch of flags because I want to see a flow and a consistency. Can they do better or always? Um, and I, I can guarantee you, the, the young man who's director of officiating was there when um, I was there. Uh, he started out. He was young. He, he understands. He's working hard to get it to the point where there aren't any flags. Now, there are usually less flags as you start to get to the end of the season or in the playoffs. Right. Why is that? Again, you got better teams that are going, but they also realize the significance of trying to play closer uh, to the speed limit than into the gray area. And so, yes, you'll get away with quite a few more things. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we, we swing that pendulum. Usually it is a pendulum that swings one way and or another. Uh, right now, you could say that uh, I, statistically they should be able to come on out and say, um, you know, we're on par for what is average. We would know where we are are, are trending. Right. And I'm surprised that, you know, if it feels that there's that challenge, the commissioner uh, could easily come on out and say, hey, uh, we think that, uh, you know, we always like to be better, but here's, here's where we are, and here's the efficiency of flags that are thrown. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that I would have done. And, again, um, it, it was interesting that, you know, an owner got all over me for being honest, uh, but I really believe that that's how you earn the fans' respect, but you also understand that you earn the players' and the coaches' respect, that you're saying, here's the efficiencies of flags that we're throwing because they are also graded and that if you're getting a lot of uh, all of a sudden you can get one of your officials to be shell shocked because you're saying, Hey, you're throwing way too many 
incorrect flags, then you have to start worrying about, um, you know, are they going to be moving forward? Because right now the, the officials are trying to see if they can get a playoff game or get the Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. And they only the best get that, and they move forward. And so I know it's wishy-washy saying, well, are there too many flags, Tom? It's yes or no. And I said, you know, no, it's a gray area. Yeah, no, no, and, and, and I appreciate it. It's an intriguing conversation. And, 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 and here's my opinion. And, again, this opinion coming from a guy that's never played the game, probably, uh, you know, needs to know more about the game. But I, I think sometimes the league is, is just as responsible. They, they've tried to get more offense into the game. And I, I hate some of the illegal contact, uh, you know, plays on on receivers that that are called and 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 and, and pass interference. I sometimes I don't understand what pass interference is, because you know there might be a little bit of contact and yeah th- that there's that gray area and then you see a flag and you, I, I go that's not a bleeping penalty for goodness sakes I, I I don't quite get it and and you know letter of the law it's a penalty but should it be a penalty and I guess that's where I get frustrated Tom. You're you're absolutely correct. They they swung the pendulum to create more offense. And it's, it's difficult. Um, it is very, very difficult because of the angle that the official has that's on the field. Um, so if, if you're a defensive player and I'm just dropping back to where I'm supposed to be defending my area and a receiver runs into me, uh, the likelihood is they're going to call a penalty on me, the defensive player, right. instead of the offensive player, who I not have the right to be there. And, um, so it, it's it's tricky how the, the coaches are are coaching them now. That um, that but before the start of the season, I can tell you, Darren Hackwood, who is the director of officiating, would have come to every one of the teams and say, "Here's what the coaches want to have happen," and what it is, it is to be able to help, or people want to see higher scoring games. They don't want to see an NFL game that uh, finishes three nothing. Uh, a hockey score. Um, so, yeah, we're <laughs> we are always presented with the challenges. Uh, know that the director of officiating after a full weekend's game, there's eight teams that are calling that are complaining about one call or two calls that they're saying, "Hmm, didn't like this one." Yep. And then you just tell them yes or no, whether you agree with them or not. And then usually that will satisfy the coach and say, hey, it's always a work in progress. We are always working to get better. <laughs> you know, Tom, we, we, we could spend another hour on this podcast, uh, you know, breaking this all down. I, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, I think it's a fantastic story. You know, going back to Raleigh and watching the Wolfpack, I, I, again, I apologize for the, the Red Raider comment earlier today. And uh, fantastic stuff. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insight. Uh, thanks for joining us in Football North. My pleasure. You take good care. All right, that does it for another edition of Football North. Thank you so much to Tom Higgins for joining us on the show. He's now an unrestricted free agent. Hey, if, if you want to hire a football mind, he's the guy to talk to. I'd love to hear your feedback on the show. Maybe you have a topic for a future show. You can always hit me up. You know my email address, jock at am770chqr.com.